0: You're listening to the Left Coast Pirates. This is Lavelle Sanders, one of the most underrated players in scene Hall history. Had a great time with, on the podcast. Make sure you check these guys out.
1: seconds to go down by two. Here's Whitehead. Guarded by Ochefu. Gets the step into the lane. Goes to the bucket. Layup. Rolls around and in. And a foul! Whitehead ties the game!
2: Pound from Trenton. Woo! What Trenton makes, the world
3: takes! From just west of the Ward Place Gate in San Diego, California. He is Mike Desiree, class of 2001. I am Tom Kaharski, class of 1997, and we are Left Coast Pirates. Welcome to this week's edition of Left Coast Pirates. It is March 7th, 2021, and I can only ask one question after a week like this. Michael, when will the bleeding stop?
1: Uh, Tommy, Tommy, I'm in a difficult place today, my friend. And maybe that's my own fault, right? I mean, uh, my eyes and head were telling me that there were so many things fundamentally wrong with this team in the weeks leading up to these final two games, right? We we talked about it on the last episode. But I'm a fanatic. So regardless of the second half meltdown versus Creighton or the anemic offense versus DePaul or that no-show against Butler, my heart will always bleed blue confusing the hell out of my brain, right? Then I start seeing teams around the bubble begin to drop like flies, one after the next prior to the UConn game. So like nobody seems to want it. And I'm watching all these random games on like CBS or staying up late watching Utah State. My wife's like, what are you doing? So I think to myself in this moment, why not us? You know, after a good start against UConn, I'm all pumped up. And then we just got outplayed by a better team that wanted it more. And and by now I should know better. Heck, I I did say that if we lost to UConn, we would probably go 0-2 for the week. And yet here comes my fandom again, trying to grasp onto hope. And nobody still wants to grab any of these final tournament spots. So yeah, once again, why not us? One more time. Beat St. John's. Win the 4-5 game in the Big East tournament. Take advantage of Nova without Gillespie. Three wins. And we could still be in. But that was only wishful thinking in the end, right? So you know what's the worst part about this story? Is I probably missed the best six minutes of the season because of freaking NASCAR. I had to take my son to baseball practice. So as you know, what happens from time to time, I have to DVR the game, watch it on delay. I kind of shut my phone off. So I don't know what the outcome is. So I'm emotionally still kind of tuned into, you know, the experience of watching it, right? But I have to fast forward through the first 23 minutes of tape before the game kicks on. And the score at that moment is already 18 to nothing. I couldn't even get to enjoy that. I had to watch us get dominated from that point on as we choked away another massive lead in an important game. Tom, these two games this week, they were a microcosm of the overall collapse down the stretch by this team. There's no new revelations that I'm gonna take away from recapping these games. Or or, I mean, do you feel differently? See, I don't know if I agree with you, Mike, about the revelations
3: portion. I think this is teaching us what this team is. And now maybe in the moment, it's the same old, same old. But once the dust settles on this season and we do our yearly season review, I think a lot of this recent play is going to be the answers for all those questions we asked earlier on from that macro level, from that high-end level. But
1: we're not there yet. We still got the Big East tournament. We got another week of basketball to play before we start taking that macro look and start kind of planting the seeds for what next year's all about. And right now, if you we go back to social media again, everybody's already going down that path of dialogue, and they're not talking about what happened in these last two games. They're not talking about what could lie ahead for the you know Thursday through Saturday we gotta do that
3: i don't know you can blame them, mike it's been a month since we've played a full 40 minutes of good basketball but mike i refuse to start this show on a negative tone mike so this is what we're gonna do this week on the podcast we will interview the latest Seton hall pirate to join the head coaching ranks as we bring back Friend of the podcast, Lavelle Sanders, to the show. We will recap the loss at home to the Yukon Huskies and the loss in Queens to the St. John's Red Storm. We will try to decipher some of the coach speak during our deep thoughts with Kevin Willard. And finally, we will take a look at Seton Hall's chances in the Big East tournament. But first, he was a Seton Hall standout from 1994 to 98, scoring 1,399 career points and earning second team All-Big East in 1998. Had a successful career overseas, both as a player and a coach. Returned to the U.S. as an assistant coach for the Binghamton University Bearcats. And this past week was named interim head coach for the 2021-22 season. Please welcome back to Left Coast Pirates, Lavelle Sanders. Lavelle, how are you today?
0: I'm doing great. How are you guys doing?
1: Hanging in there. We're getting a little uh, cold snap. You see Tom with like the... the hoodie and the woolly on san diego tom what are you it's doing
3: 55 man i'm cold today
0: right i mean it's 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 cold it's cold up here also so uh i mean i would love to have the san diego weather but it's pretty pretty cold up here but this week's supposed to it's supposed to get nice so i'm looking forward to that
1: well, what's considered nice back east right now
0: um they said it's supposed to get in the 60s
1: <laughs> hey, tom, we're getting soft time we're getting Whoa,
0: soft i've been so right
1: All right, Lavelle. Uh, We've been asking all of our guests to start the show, how they've been doing relative to COVID-19, but we're going to take a different spin on this question today. Binghamton officially completed their season back on February 27th, finishing the year 4-14. and What are your thoughts on the concept of playing through a unique season in the middle of a pandemic?
0: It was pretty tough. I mean, I don't don't think anybody uh, anticipated or could anticipate what the season was going to look like. I think the the toughest part was like, you know, whenever there was a stoppage and you, you, you know, you had to pause for 14 days. I mean, coming back from that was, was pretty tough because you're basically, you know, sitting doing nothing for 14 days and then you have, mm-hmm. you know, say a week uh, to get back. But of course, when you get back, you can't just go a hundred percent, you know, all out. You gotta, you gotta get guys back slowly. So. That was the toughest part. Um, I think another, another tough part was the players were on campus pretty much the whole season alone. Um, they, they couldn't have family members um, to come visit them. You know, coaches, you, you, you pretty much live with your family. So you're, you're affected, but not as much as, as the players are. So I think that was tough for those guys, you know, not not being able to, to go home, not being able to have family members come visit um and and you know navigating that so you know it was a pretty pretty tough situation but I, I thought that uh you know coach Dempsey did a, did a pretty good job I mean he he put some really good uh, game plans together in terms of how to you know how, how to keep us from from you know with the contact tracing and all of those things um he had a, he had a pretty good game plan and, uh, and I thought we actually we executed it pretty well
1: could you expound upon that mental aspect of kind of how the players had to try to recover not both physically but you know in their own heads Relative to not being with family and friends, et cetera, et cetera.
0: You know, for example, we had a, we had a freshman uh, from Texas, Kellen Kellen Am- Amos, who was pretty much the only kid living on campus. Think think uh, Tommy Dempsey Jr. lived on campus for a little while also, but he was the only player because we only had one freshman. So our freshmen have to live on campus. Everybody else was work- or off campus. So pretty much whenever there was a you know there was a, a quarantine and we had to be shut down, the school went on pause. You know, he was pretty much isolated and him by himself, whereas, you know, other guys were living for an apartment, you know, together, at least you had opportunity to, to see someone and, and, and talk to someone, you know, so I know for him, he, he had it tough and he was, a, uh, you know, he was kind of on my team. He was, uh, he was I, I had him in terms of working out, you know, he was the guy that, you know, I had him on my academic team, so, you know, we had opportunity to talk a lot and and he really, really was homesick, you know, wanted, wanted to go home a few times, but, but couldn't, wanted to have family members come visit, but couldn't. So it was, um, you know, I, I know for him, it was, it was really tough. And I can imagine for a lot of the freshmen that probably was going through the same thing. It, it was tough. Cause again, you know, you're, 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 you're taken away from, from your family members and, and kind of, you know, he came and he had to go, you know, 14 days quarantine into a hotel first, first day he got here. You know, because he was coming from Texas, so it was just yeah, it was it was it was a lot to go through. I mean, I can't I can't imagine you know going through all that. I mean, I remember I had to go, um, I went overseas because my my wife is from the Czech Republic, and I went over. I forgot what when, when it was, but I went over, and when I came back, I had to do a 14 day quarantine. You know, so you know that that was tough. And and again, I was in my you know in my place was able to you know yeah, it's a lot bigger than a dorm room, right? So you know you you had a little bit more. I have a balcony and things like that, but you know, I can imagine what he was going through. So yeah, it was, it was pretty tough.
3: Well, coming back to the season a little bit after falling to Hartford 77 to 60 in the first round of the America East playoffs, Binghamton officially announced the termination of coach Tom Dempsey a couple of days afterwards. Now coach Dempsey was the man who gave you your first collegiate experience in coaching back in the States. So how bittersweet was it to hear that he had been let go?
0: Um, yeah, it was, it was tough. It, it, again, I, you know, I was trying to describe it as like an em- emotional roller coaster, you know, because you get the news, you know, that, um, next, you get the news that, you know, coach Jim I'm not sure if, you, is it called termination? He, they didn't renew his contract. So, um, okay. parting, is that,
1: is that, we'll call it a parting of ways then maybe.
0: Right. So, yeah. Um, you know, so you, 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 you get that news and then, you know, and then and the next breath is, you know, they're asking if you would, uh, you would want to be the interim interim head coach in the, in the meantime. So, of course, you know I'm I'm forever grateful for Coach Dempsey. He was a, and Coach Dempsey's a really really good guy. You know we had a really good relationship. Never had any kind of ill feelings to each other. As as you guys said, he gave me my first opportunity to come back um, to the state. So um, definitely definitely uh, some some mixed emotions. Some you know emotional roller coaster uh, kind of situation, but. It's part of the business, and I think that I'm not sure who said it, but I heard somebody say, "If you are, if you've never been like let go as a, as, a, as a coach, you you're not coaching." So um, you never want somebody to to lose a job because again, families are involved. Coach Dancy has, has a has a great family, you know, his wife and kids. You know, I know all of them. So it's definitely definitely was a tough tough situation, and you know, as I said, you never want someone to lose a job.
3: Well, this isn't your first rodeo coach, and obviously you had head coaching experience back in the Czech Republic. So why don't you expound a little bit about what the transition was like from coaching professionals there to young collegiate athletes here?
0: Um, I think the biggest thing is that, you know, when you are coaching professionally, you don't have to worry about schoolwork. You know, you don't have to worry about classes. You don't have to plan according to those, to those, you know, those aspects. So, um, that was, you know, for me, and then also the, the rules right there, there are a ton of rules. Um, I remember, you know, coming back and doing the recruiting, uh, the recruiting test that you have to do every year and just, you know, like, wow, you know, um, so many things you have to know and it's an ongoing process. It's not like you, you ever stop because things are evolving, they are changing things. You know, kind of one of the first things that, that I did with the staff was we uh last week we we met with compliance right away just to make sure that we're up to speed and that we are compliant and we you know we're not doing anything that we're not supposed to be doing. And I think that's something that we will do throughout you know, it's just me you know, with compliance pretty often, just so we can stay, stay, stay afloat to all of the rules. But yeah, I think that's that's the biggest thing. I think another thing is a lot of times when you're coaching professionals, and, and you know, I was coaching guys that were 36, 37 years old. You know a wealth of experience you know playing experience you have you know you're coaching guys that have families um i mean you're coaching men right um so that's 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 another thing you know basketball iq is probably a little bit higher because you know they've they've seen so much more you know possessions offensively and defensively um but at the end of the day it's, it is basketball and, and is you know when you it's, it's kind of like the same when you're coaching once you start to coach the, the game um it's it's, it's the same
1: all right, Lavelle, so the last time that you were on the show and we checked in with you, you were just a few weeks into the new position, and as you already mentioned, you were getting your feet wet. You were traveling all over, networking, recruiting. Looking back to when you committed to Seton Hall, how has the recruitment process for the student athlete changed versus what you experienced?
0: One, there's a lot more opportunities or a lot more kind of these events that you can go and see, see players. Um, when I was coming out of school and coming out of high school in 1994, I guess, you know there weren't as many events that, uh, as they have today, um, but the the process is kind of still the same. I mean, You still have to go out and recruit kids. You still have to go out and get a chance to know the kid, uh, the parents, the AAU coach. You know, just the people who are in, in, involved in that that kid's life or student athlete's life. So it's it's not that much uh, different. Of course, there are you know a lot of different people um, now and doing it than when when I was you know when I was playing but yes, I don't, I don't think it's, is, is that, I mean, of course the, the, the mentality of the player um is, is, a, is a lot different from, you know, when I was in high school, Um, you know, there are so many more distractions. So, you know, it's, it's, it's some aspects that are different, but again, a lot of it is, is the same.
1: You mentioned parents, AAU coach. I didn't hear you say the high school coach. Has that changed? Yeah.
0: Yes. That, that, that's somewhat changed because, you know, they, they spend, seem like they spend so much more time on the AAU circuit. Um, but you know, you do, you do have to have, you know, you do have to you know know the high school coach. That's one of the first things. again, one of the first things that I did was get all of the, the high school coaches in our area contact information so I can reach out, um, and introduce myself. Um, because again, you, 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 you want to, you want to have all, all your bases covered, you know? So, um, I, I left that out, but that's definitely uh, someone you need to you need to get, get a chance to know for sure.
3: So when you coached in the Czech Republic, you had a string of years where you won an astonishing 84% of the games. Now, clearly, Binghamton is a program that's going through some growing pains at the moment. Knowing how competitive you are and how hardworking you are, how difficult has it been going through that kind of adversity?
0: I think it's, it's, it was difficult for everybody. I think when you are losing, you know, you you're trying to find answers. But I think also it was something that you know you 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 embrace and you you, you try to get better at. And um, I think a lot of it has to do with you know, I mean, there's so many different factors. But I think Binghamton, for example, has you know a ton of ton of talented players. Um, some guys have have left that kind of depleted the roster. Um, so you know, over in the Czech Republic again we had I, actually i was playing on that team first of all i was playing on the team that i started coaching so we had a pretty pretty talented team we had a, we had a pretty good team we had as like i said some experienced players that had played on the, the czech national team and you know we had some foreigners on the team that were pretty good so you know it, it was it was it was a little bit different in terms of, of that but you know you just got to make sure you you're ready for to grind you know i wasn't when not when i was a player i wasn't the most highly recruited sort of sort out player on the circuit or in high school. So I had to, you know, I had to work hard. I was a late bloomer. So I I know about hard work. I embrace it. I know what it looks like. Um, And I know that, you know, that's what we have to, we have to embrace here. We have to brace, you know, just working hard and putting one foot in front of the other every day and getting after it. And again, it's kind of like what coach coach, um, coach i how about to say coach Blaney, but what coach Dempsey was doing, um, you know, and it's just a matter of just building upon what, what he had, you know, going here and, 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 and keep it going.
1: Speaking of the history of a program, right. Most listeners may not know that Binghamton has only been playing D one basketball for the past 20 seasons, you know, and it's not always easy for a program to make that kind of transition. However, on only its fifth season, The team finished over 500 and second in the conference. And then three years later, they win 23 games, finish in first place, and also secure the auto bid for the NCAA tournament in 2009. Did that success a decade ago set the bar for what the expectations are for the program today?
0: I think so. I think, um, you know, I know when I'm going around town, uh, a lot of people, you know, always talk about what happened in 2009 in terms of playing in the NCAA tournament and, and winning the conference and things like that. You know, I think people would like to get back to to that height of success, and I, I mean, I think it's, it's only right. The town is a is a, is a really a, it's a sports town. Um, you know, the, the the you know the university is kind of the biggest thing going in, in in the city. You know, so you know, I'm pretty sure they're they're waiting and they they're looking for. I think men's basketball is one of the one of the programs in, in the university that you know a lot of people follow and and they want to do well. So. Um, definitely 2009 in terms of, you know, what they did, you know, on the floor um, was special. Um, again, it hasn't been done since. And again, that's something that you have to, you know, you have to aim for. You can't be afraid to, to speak about it and and, and, and want to get back there because I think that's what everybody wants. And as you said, as a competitor, you want to be the best that you can be, you know, you want to play against the best competition. you, you know, so those are those are the, the things that you you kind of shoot for. I mean, it's a, it's a reminder every time you walk into the events and, You know, there, there's a banner there. I think I'm not sure if it was Coach Dempsey or maybe Coach Goodman. One of them had in their uh, in their office the kind of the picture of when I guess it was last couple seconds of the game. It was a great kind of aerial shot of in 2009 when when they were you know it was like I guess 16 seconds left in the game and kind of standing ovation. Uh, it, it was so loud it was it looked like it was a tremendous atmosphere i can imagine because you know we have we do have a really good facility we have about an arena that can hold six thousand six thousand students on campus you know so really really really, really uh, awesome to, to be able to get 6,000 5, 5, 6, people in the arena again
3: so the last time we spoke, you said you reached out to some of your former coaches and teammates for advice when you took over as head coach in the Czech Republic. So we're wondering who reached out to you this time to congratulate you for your new position?
0: Yeah, I mean it was it was so so many people. It was it was overwhelming, you know. Um when everything got announced on Monday, um, you know, and 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 our athletic director Pat Elliott told me it was, you know, to get ready and it was it was yeah it was overwhelming so i i mean yeah everybody reached out i think the actually the, the first person i spoke with and that wasn't you know he didn't reach out to me but i reached out to him was was uh was coach Amica. i think you know whenever i whenever i have these kind of you know things going on in my life you know he he's he's a guy that i that i reach out to and you know he's always ready to take my calls and, and give me advice and i think the second person i spoke with was sha you know, I spoke with, spoke with Sha, I think Sunday night, maybe before it even everything kind of came out. Um, I spoke with him and, you know, so I'm talking about the Seton Hall guys. And then I uh, spoke with Adrian Griffin a couple days later. And I also spoke with Friday night. I spoke with Danny for, before a good bit, you know, so, um, so yeah. So, you know, definitely, you know, I try to, I try to reach out to all of the Seton Hall guys and, you know, they all reached out to congratulate me. Remus, uh, Remus reached out also, you know, I spoke, spoke with him. Um, Coach Jackson from, he was on Coach Amiga's staff. He's he's a scout with the San Antonio Spurs. You know, I spoke with him. Uh, Kerry Keaton uh, reached out to me. I haven't been able to kind of get on the phone with him yet, but I'm, I definitely would like to get on the phone with him. Because um, for, for me, it's just about information. You know, I like to, you know, I like to to talk to these guys. They, they've all been in the business for a long time and kind of know the ins and outs, the do's and don'ts. So for me, it's about just... Getting those guys and being able to get the information that they have, because they've all been successful and you know, successfully is clues. You know, so I, I try to try to follow that. But again, I'll, I mean, a lot of other guys. Like for example, uh, one of my uh, Brooklyn brothers, uh, Mike Boyden from Oklahoma State. You know, I spoke with him a few times. I actually, congratulated him, congratulated him last night on the win. And he he said again, if you know, if I need anything, don't don't hesitate to to, to call. I spoke with Mike Huger, who's the head coach at Bowling Green. He, uh, we played, played against each other, you know, overseas. So he's also been a guy that I've, you know, talked to a lot. Um, so, you know, a lot of, I mean, a lot of people, a lot of people reached out and it was, it was, it was, it was good. It was good because um, it's, you know, that, that's things that people are, you, you need to get the information from. So.
1: All right, Lavelle, last question from us. You probably have a lot of things to sort out in terms of like the roster construction, you know, as the new head coach. There's a whole bunch of new things in play right now. You, you have that extra year of eligibility that everyone was granted. And then next year also opens the floodgates uh, to this new tr- new transfer role where everybody can be immediately eligible, right? So regardless yeah. of how that will all play out, what is going to be the hallmark of a Lavelle Sanders coach team once it takes the court?
0: Well, we would like to be exciting uh, for, for our fan base. We would like to play a style that, you know, people can get excited about definitely want to be together on the floor and and, and, and have that you know come across when, when when we play um you know rooting for each other you know playing hard i think is something that that just comes with you know playing basketball you have to play hard that's a non-negotiable a team that's going to communicate and i think one of the things that uh, when you're talking about um college and professional i think that's one of the things that that i found, that uh, professional you know, guys talk a lot more. You know, um, you know, we need to be better communicators. And and that's just, you know, you cannot have any kind of relationship if you don't you don't communicate. We, you know, we talk about that with my wife a lot because my wife is from the Czech Republic and her first language is, isn't English, it's, the, it's Czech. So, you know, we we have to communicate with each other. So when anytime I say anytime any kind of relationship. Uh, you have with someone you have to communicate. So, you know, hard, hard playing team, a uh, fun and exciting team, team that our, our fan base uh, can get behind and, and and support. You know, we, we definitely would like to to rack up some wins. And I think that if we can control the things in terms of, you know, we, we, we will start working out, you know, next month. And if we can control those things in terms of, you know, getting in the gym and, and, and busting our butts, I think that we will, we will be able to have success. So, Fun, exciting, hardworking, you know, fun to watch. That's that's what I think you should expect from a team that's uh, our staff or coach.
3: Before we let you go, we're going to make you walk the plank one more time. We're going to ask you five rapid fire questions. We're looking for five rapid fire answers. You think you're ready for this again, Lavelle?
0: Ready. I forgot I forgot the question. So,
3: going uh, to be, be different well, we this time. we got a whole new set now.
0: Okay. Before okay. I
1: get started, who's our who's our friend on the uh, or our guest on the Zoom with you?
0: That's my daughter Olivia. Say hi.
1: Olivia, <laughs> Olivia, how you doing, hi, Olivia. Olivia? You think you think Dad can handle this? Yeah. Okay. All right. All right. Here we go. All right. Question number one: toughest opponent you have seen at Binghamton so far?
0: Um, Michigan State.
1: Most hostile road environment in the American East. Vermont. Best player in the AEC. People should pay attention to our team. Nice. <laughs> If you could schedule any opponent, who would it be? Seton Hall. Where is it colder in the winter? Binghamton or Prague? Binghamton. (laughs) Bonus question. Have you already called Shaw to get a Bearcats-Peacock game on the schedule next year? No, I haven't.
3: Congratulations, Lavelle. You've walked the plank. Well, Again, Lavelle, congrats on the new position. We know you're going to do great and we wish you nothing but the
0: best. Appreciate it. Thanks for having me on, man.
3: That was Lavelle Sanders, everybody. It may be the last bit of positivity in this podcast today because Yukon 69, Seton Hall 58. The first half was all about runs back and forth as Seton Hall started off with a 15-6 run to take an early lead. UConn came back with an 11-2 run of its own to be quickly followed by a Seton Hall run of 9-2. But UConn took an 8-0 run to take a one-point lead into the half. The runs didn't stop there. Another 17-6 Husky run to start the second half gave the UConn Huskies control of the game. And Seton Hall never got closer than 7 points the rest of the way.
1: All right Tom stats on this one uh individually for Seaton Hall Sandro had 20 and 10 on seven of 20 shooting Roden chipped in with 16. not much else to really write home about though Yukon conversely had four starters and double figures. Whaley went for a double double at 17 and 10 Book Knight had 16. RJ Cole had 14 with dagger shot after dagger shot and once again, Another freshman, and this one stings, probably worse than any of the others. Adama Sinogo with a new career high of 16 points, and he also chipped in nine rebounds. On the team side, I just UConn had a couple areas that they just dominated us. 40 to 28 on the glass, and they also got to the line 16 times and made 15 of those 16 attempts. Now they just sometimes another team's just gonna play better than you, and you have to tip your cap. UConn, once they got on that run. Yeah, it it was all them at that point. So to me, that's the turning point. During these runs that UConn had to end the first half and start the second half, Seton Hall had a total of four points over 12 minutes. So I don't think there was one specific basket or one specific play. It was just a collective 12 minutes of, you didn't score. You can't win games in the Big East when you don't score for a 12-minute stretch of the ballgame. Bottom line.
3: Well, Mike, you know, I know we normally try to put on some blue-tinted glasses, and then we do some complaining, but I don't want to do that this time. I mean, we're going to make stuff up at this point about blue-tinted glasses. There was not a whole lot of good here after the first six, seven minutes. But... Why don't we take a look at points in this game and kind of think about it as an overall assessment? I think there's a lot of examples throughout this game that kind of become a microcosm of what has happened to us in this last month.
1: So it's more of a like step back, not a complete macro approach, but more of a macro approach to just the last six games, let's say. Oh, yes. OK, I'm done with that. Okay. Where, where do you want to start? So
3: one thing that we have complained about over and over and over again is that this team goes away from the hot hand. We have seen repeated examples of Miles Kale having a really good first half and then not touching the ball in the second half. We've also seen that with Jared Roden. We've seen that with others. But Mike, Jared Roden comes out to play. He scores 11 of the team's first 17 points. Guess how many shots he took on the rest of the game?
1: You don't have to ask me. I know the answer to this question. He
3: had three. He had three. Why don't we ever go back to our hot hand? And I don't want to hear that the other team made adjustments. We're supposed to have the chiropractor, Mike.
1: I I don't get it. I, I really don't get it, right? Give me something. You know, when Jared's having a hot game, maybe get him in the post. He's got that little turnaround fadeaway. I don't like it when they clear out for him, but you know, when he's on his game, he can give you a couple uh, dribbles to his right, pull up and hit that little mid range jump shot. Once again, I don't think that's Jared's game overall, but when he's hot and he's the only guy scoring the basketball for you, how does he only get three shots? How I, I, I'm, I'm at a loss. I, I'll give you another one. Cause this goes all back to we start getting into offensive philosophy here, right? We make four out of our first six, three point attempts. And then for the remainder of the game, we go one for the last 13. Why do we keep on jacking up threes?
3: This kind of goes hand in hand with the first point. It keeps coming back to that. We don't have an identity offensively. I mean, it's always get the ball to one of the guys and have them try to make a one-on-one move. And, and after a while, if there's nothing going to the basket, you're just settling for threes.
1: Well, we've been asking for the ball to go to Sandro in the post, but even in these last two games, Sandro in the post hasn't looked efficient either, though. I mean, that's 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 been a predictable offense where he just pounds the ball uh, into the ground like four or five times, looking to go over his left shoulder, and then essentially gets blocked half the time. I, I'm There's a lot of things that are fundamentally wrong right now. I, let's keep going. I mean, when you get frustrated, things tend to unravel, and I don't think Seton Hall kept their head in this game. I'll, I'll give you an example. Early on. I don't know how you lose your head at this point, but Seton Hall is up seven to nothing. And Sandro gets a T for taunting the opponent. When somebody else blocks the shot, Ike Ike swats one into like the fifth row. Like he always does. And Sandro's there like is up in one of the players face. Boom. T
3: that was weak sauce, Mike. Come on. If there's a crowd in the arena, the refs don't hear all that. That
1: doesn't get called in a regular season. That's just weak but you know the environment. And at this point, UConn's struggling. It's not like they hit the two technical free throws and all of a sudden the game's tied 7-7 before you blink. The score still gets to 15-6 to before UConn finally starts to find their footing and mount a comeback. But you really want to get under their skin? You really want to get some bad blood going early on to get to get them going? I mean, they, they were coming out sleepwalking. Why are you going to do that? I don't get it. Uh, it just, it, it, keep, it keeps on going, right? You know, uh, Bryce Aiken, is now on the free throw line late in the game. And mind you, we're down by 11. We're down by 11, and he's talking trash about not missing free throws and then proceeds to miss his first two of the entire season back-to-back. Why come on man,
3: you got to get past this Mike who's the older guy here me or you you're gonna talk about talking trash He wasn't sitting there going to the to the line just jabbering. He was answering it was coming back and forth This is old as the game itself. People have been talking trash forever. Mike stop it Complain Uh, about real things I'll give you you something to complain about Mike. We really need that third guy to score because What we've seen recently is that we'll get those two top guys scoring the basket and then nothing. As much as I love Miles Kale, he's been playing atrociously this past couple games here. This game. 3 of 10. It just wasn't a good game for him. He's got to do more. He's got to show that senior leadership.
1: Tom, it's, it's a biggies tournament, and then he's done. You Now? Now you want to start showing consistency now? I don't even think Miles played atrocious. Miles Kale played the way Miles Kale plays. He's been up and down. And in some of the games that we really needed him to step up down the stretch, this has been one of his downswings. Uh, you know, Shavar has been ineffective at point guard. And also we're getting nothing out of the bench. They only had seven points in this game. And like you said, then it just evolves into kind of jacking up one-on-one hero ball shots. Maybe this team just is who they are. They don't have that third option at this point.
3: Mike, we were were thinking we were going to come in here and play a better game, especially with how we started off. And then we just fell apart. And what was ironic that Saturday showed up And we had a similar type game because St. John's 81, Seton Hall 71. Seton Hall blitzed the Johnnies over the first six and a half minutes to a tune of 18 to nothing. Not that anyone who tuned in to FS1 would have seen it due to NASCAR of all things running long. But the Johnnies would rally back and cut the lead to six at 27-21 with an 11-2 run of the, the Pirates would steady the ship and take a solid 10-point lead into the break. The second half was all St. John's. After a pair of Dylan Adiwusu free throws capped a 28-8 run over the first 9:30 of the second half,
1: it was basically all she wrote. All right, Tom box score. You know, a lot, a lot of smattering of good things for Seton Hall when you look at it on paper. Sandro, 15 and 10. Reynolds, 13 points. Aiken had 10. Roden had 10. Ike had nine points and seven boards. But St. John's kind of once again came to play in that second half. Julian Champagny stepped up 22 points for a game high. Uh, Adai Wusu, 14 points. And Marcellus Erlington with 12 points and a bunch of dagger threes. Uh Team stats. St. John's just had a heck of a second half that we keep on alluding to. Listen to some of these numbers. 66% from the floor, 6 of 9 from 3, 11 of 13 from the line, while Seton Hall for the entire game goes another 7 of 22 from distance. And St. John's held an edge in the following areas. Fast break points, 24 to 8, and bench points, 33 to 16. To me, here's the turning point. Samuel had just worked his butt off on the offensive glass to give the Hall the lead back at 46-44 to early in the second half as St. John's had rallied to tie it on the possession before. And then St. John's comes back down the court, and with the shot clock running down, Erling took one dribble to his right, elevated up over Reynolds, and drills a three. Get this. It was their first lead against Seton Hall for the entire season, spanning the two games up until that point. St. John's never looked back. They got over that hump of that 18-point deficit to start, and they put their foot on the gas, and it was over, basically.
3: And just like I said as I, like, led into this game's recap, this is the same game. We started off strong against UConn, and then they imposed their will against us. We started even better against St. John's. And then they came back and they beat the hell out of us on the back end. And we had no answer for it. It was like that old Mike Tyson saying, you know, everybody's got a plan until they get punched in the mouth. And we certainly didn't have a response.
1: So you don't want to do blue teeth, the glasses, sour grapes, and grapes again. You want, to, you want to just stay with the mantra from the last recap. Let's just talk about some of the things we observed. And just once again, I think it was a microcosm of this recent collapse. And I don't even want to talk about the first half. I just want to stick with what I saw relative to the second half of that game. So I'm going to throw a couple different bullet points back and forth here. And and we, we can talk about them. I want to start with the fast break that occurred early in the second half, where it was a four on one and it resulted in a turnover. So like kale brings the ball down once again, horrendous spacing. I think Sandra was on his left. I forget who was on his right. And he doesn't go up to the rim at that point and decides to just a really poor pass back out to the three point line straight away to Bryce Aiken he fumbles the ball everybody now starts converging and Aiken whips it over to the corner back to Kale and Kale fumbles it and it goes out of bounds that man it doesn't get any worse than watching that if if i we could put together a highlight reel for high school kids that basically say this is what not to do on the fast break and not just this one sequence over and over again poor spacing two-on-ones, three-on-twos, three-on-ones. Tommy, a four-on-one? And it becomes a turnover with the ball in the corner? I, I'm, just I, not,
3: I, just I, not good I, basketball, Mike. But a lot of things were going kind of out of control in that game. I mean, we saw a lot of out of control drives out of Molson. we saw some crazy up and under from Shavar. We saw kale get stuffed by Roberts really bad on some double clutch drive to the basket. So we were doing things out of the ordinary that this team normally doesn't do. It, it just
1: was Whoa, wasn't whoa. Good. wait a minute. Molson driving out of control. Um, Kale okay. getting blocked at the rim. Shavar with acrobatics at the rim on out of control drive. That's out of the ordinary? Shavar well, usually does the jump stop and then oh, just starts oh, oh. practicing his,
3: his uh, pivot.
1: Well, maybe that's why he's not going all the way to the basket because we saw what the result was. I, it, this, is, this is not out of the ordinary. This is a microcosm of what's been happening to this team. I'm not shocked as to what those results were. I'm not shocked that Sandro kept on getting stripped, going up to for a bucket, trying to go to his left. It's become the most predictable move in all of college basketball. If he's getting ahead of steam with his right hand, what's he going to do?
3: He's going he to he's gonna he's gonna spin to his
1: left. And he's getting blocked by guards when he does that. I mean, come on, everything just becomes a consistent concept of what the heck is going on. Like you don't do certain things like save the ball and you get your own basket or better yet, you don't go flailing out of bounds, trying to save a ball, double hand, throw it over your head back towards your own basket. Cause what happens? The other team picks it off and ignites a fast break for two points. Come on, Sandro. That, I, I get it. You're trying to make a hustle play, but that's bad fundamental basketball. Sometimes it's okay to let the ball go out of bounds and then regroup on the other side of the court. Tom, it was it was a mess. You know, we had some really strange play from one half to the other. I
3: mean, first half of the game... They were passing the ball around. I believe it was something like 13 baskets on 11 assists. The ball was moving. People were touching it. The scoring was um, spread out across everybody. We only had two more assists for the entirety of the game after the half, Mike. What happened to the ball movement? What happened to everybody sharing the rock? What happened?
1: Am I allowed to take the gloves off? Can Can I take the gloves off right now? You
3: do what you need to do, Mike.
1: Uh, Shavar Reynolds has been exposed. I'm going to give you some numbers here, right? In his last 13 games, he has 7 of 28 from three-point range. It's 25%. In his last 13 games, he's gotten to the free-throw line for 25 attempts. 25. And how, how many of them have come like late in the game when the game's already been decided, right? We've kind of pointed that out where sometimes it feels like he's padding his stats in the last 60 seconds of the game, whether it's positive or negative at that point. Tom, there, there's no... Point where he has the ability to drive the basketball past his defender and get into the teeth of the defense. There's a reason why he's not getting to the free throw line. You just mentioned it. Every drive to the basket ends up in a jump stop and then some kind of crazy pivot and a force pass or a patented fadeaway where the announcer is like, whoa, that was a tough shot by Shavar, but he delivered. No, that's a bad basketball play, folks. That is not high percentage basketball, you know, driving to your left, beating your defender, and then taking a fadeaway off the backboard bank shot from eight feet away is not a high percentage play. So he's not getting to the basket at the rim. Therefore he's not getting fouled because he has to stop on this jump stop. He's not getting clean passing lanes to set other guys up. It's predictable now. It just is. He's scouted. And because once again, We do not have an answer at point guard because Aiken's been hurt and Aiken has not been able to be that guy that we thought he was going to be. The offense completely breaks down. And this is not Shavar's fault. This is the coach's fault for putting him in a position where he cannot be at his best, but I'm tired of hearing, well, Shavar has played his ass off for us. Yeah, but he's not a good point guard. This is another
3: game Where we have lost to an inferior team and I'm gonna call the Johnny's an inferior team the the season has shown us that and what's worse is they were missing an Integral piece of their puzzle. I mean Mike a few games ago We lost to Butler who was down two players including their best player Aaron Thompson and now yesterday we lose to the Johnnies with Posh Alexander on the bench, the kid that's going to be the rookie of the year for the Big East, potentially the defensive player, and I've already seen some writers putting out that they've got him as the second team All Big East. So this is a big piece of St. John's puzzle. He's the motor that makes them go on defense, and we couldn't take advantage of it.
1: No, well, because we're getting outplayed by guys off the bench that have not played the entire season. I don't even I I don't even know this. Can you name the kid who played backup point guard for St. John's yesterday? Who was making key contributions and hitting three pointers? I'm so frustrated I didn't even go bothered to go back and look. But you know, the teams are getting other guys to step up. They're getting guys that were maybe, you know, lower minutes on their roster being prepared to step in. We're not. We're we're stuck with what we got. We got like eight guys in the rotation, and it seems like two or three are not prepared to even be a part of that rotation, as is. Are you saying there's player development at other schools as well, Mike? <laughs> I'm not. Nope, nope. I said we're going to save it for the, for the recap part of the season. I'm not doing that now. Uh, I, I just was hoping that there was going to be something where I was like, whoa, did you see that? Where it kind of got me juiced and excited. It, did, did anything happen in these two games that what made you possi- feel that way?
3: What possibly could you bring up that made you say, whoa, did you see that in any of these games, Mike?
1: Uh, I got some, but you're not. Allo- I'm not allowed to do one for the other team, apparently. And, but, but you know, as St. John's is starting to get their legs underneath them, Champagny comes down the lane and just, boom, punches one, fully extended with his right hand. And it just kind of gave them energy. It, it was important at that point, right? They needed their best guy to kind of start rallying them. And then on the next possession down, he bangs a three in Sandro's eye. You know, him being their leader and then still showing energy when you're down by, what, 16, 18 at that point, that's important. So that was a woe did you see that for me.
3: I'll give it to you this week. So normally, Mike, I'd give you a mic flop for the fact that you brought up a a, a opposing player in the whoa, did you see that moment, but I'll give you the drop on this one. What else did we hear this week that could be considered a mic drop or a flop?
1: See, I I like the the broadcast crew. I like Kevin Burkhart and and Jim Jackson this week. So, I mean, I, I don't have much that I want to pick on. I know you want to start off by picking on Jimmy, so I'll let you go first, but then I'm gonna I'm gonna come to Jimmy's rescue here and, and actually say that we had a mic drop on the show this week.
3: Now, and as I've said in the past, I like Jim Jackson. I think he brings a lot of good stuff to the broadcast. Normally I like him more as an analyst than I do as a uh, color guy, but he does his job well. However, when Jimmy makes a mistake, oh boy, does he go over the top with the mistake. So, they were discussing the point of Adama Sinogo making his return back to New Jersey as he played for the Patrick School during high school. And here's the following conversation.
2: Extra special night for Sonogo, who's from Mali originally, but moved to the United States and went to school at the Patrick School, just a few minutes from Newark, chose UConn over Seton Hall. The Patrick School was formerly
0: St. Patrick's. Mm-hmm. Danny Hurley Bobby Hurley of course, of course coach Hurley the father
3: so Mike how do you make that mistake that's not even close that's just
1: poor preparation well, he did say that the Patrick School was formerly the St. Patrick's. So he got that part right, didn't he?
3: But the Hurleys did <laughs> not go to the Patrick School, Mike. They that, went to the Great St. Anthony's. What do you mean it's not fair? It's not he,
1: right. Because you're not giving the full story. They come back at like another timeout, like not not much longer, and he corrects himself on air and goes, "My bad, not the Patrick School." They coached the St. Anthony's. Shame on me. And you know, if you, you take it out of college. like he was humble. He made you're, a mistake. He corrected the mistake. You're better than that, Jimmy. You're better than that. So so I think Jimmy was better in the St. John's game at the under four timeout of the first half. Seton Hall has the ball to inbounds with only seven seconds to shoot. And Roden catches a ball and starts looking around and then hands off to Shavar on one of those kind of like dribble handoffs behind him. And Shavar gets the ball unguarded 35 feet from the basket with three seconds left to shoot, holds on to the ball, and then passes it to Sandro with the final second expiring on the shot clock. And then Jimmy goes.
2: Ooh, that drives the coach crazy because you
1: come out
0: of a timeout and you tell your team X amount of t- seconds are left on the shot clock. And then you come out and you <laughs> get a whistle blows for a shot clock violation. Now Kevin Ruhler doesn't have a hot, lot of hair. But some more just fell out after that. Where you pulled it out after that <laughs> turnover?
3: That's funny. That's it, funny. It's, it's good. It's good. Good. Mike, I re- let me ask you a question though. Did he really tell his team that they only had four seconds left on the shot clock? That's my question.
1: I, I knew you were going to go there. Seven, seven actually. But they, they look clueless. And I had no idea. And then like Shavar looking up at the shot clock, going like, "Oh, oh, oh, my, my bad. I didn't realize the shot clock was running down." I, Sandro Sandro was really frustrated in this game, man. There, there was a couple plays where he's looking at his teammates going, are you guys serious? That, I don't know that was that, one of them.
3: I don't know that they were prepared. I don't know that they made that point.
1: So that's self-inflicted hair pulling out is what you're trying to say.
3: Absolutely, absolutely. So Mike, you know, so Jim Jackson redeemed himself in your eyes. I still have some problems with that Patrick School St. Anthony's comment, but we're going to have some problems with some of the things Coach Willard said, "As we go into our favorite segment,
2: and now deep thoughts with
1: Kevin Willard."
3: Okay, Mike. So on the post game, there were some interesting questions and answers, in my opinion, that you really need to jump into and say, "Wait, what? What are you talking about here?"
1: And wait, wait a minute, wait, there's audio? The post-game audio is back?
3: They brought up the audio for the UConn and the St. John's game. I'm shocked. Maybe someone got a little, got into their ear and said, you know, people are complaining that it's not up and available.
1: Interesting, interesting. Uh, no, I, I already know. I saw I saw that it was up. I, I found it interesting that it was, uh, you know, Gary's doing baseball again for this little stretch and Popkin's leading the Q&A. I'm just going to say right now, I know you're going to play some of these clips. The Q&A was soft, man. Two, two tough losses. You really kind of have to ask a couple pointed questions and they gave him about like eight layups in terms of the questions they asked over those two games. So hit, hit me with what you decided to pull.
3: The question comes to Kevin Willard about Bryce and how he's been performing and because he's been playing better is that going to help in the Big East tournament and this is what he get.
2: Yeah, it, it, it was good. You know, Bryce had you know had a full week of practice uh, so I think he feels more comfortable out there and you know I again he was he was out there and uh, I thought he did a really good job and you know and the big thing for me with is, you know defensively he's really working hard um, you know and doing some good things so uh, yeah definitely a positive there
3: Mike that's a load of garbage garbage I say you're not worried about Bryce's defense you're hoping he can bring a semblance of point guard play to their game that's just garbage and such a bad answer
1: his offense did look good in the St. John's game, did it?
3: It did look good. It looked good, okay. He was shooting the ball better. I mean, I, and he had a nice fast break with Sandro, where he gave him the alley oop. That's how you run a fast break, by the way.
1: It's it's a different energy when he's out there. I just at this point, I've I, I've given up. He can't give you thirty to thirty five minutes. Uh, maybe he can give you twenty. And my bigger concern is we're gonna talk about it, you know, at some some other point, is you gotta win three games in a row now in the Big East tournament. He can't give you those performances back to back nights with the way his health issue is. It's just you can't. I, I don't his defense. His defense is not winning us the Big East tournament.
3: Well, speaking of how much Bryce can give us going forward, the question came to Kevin again, and he talked about potential changes he might make to the lineup.
2: Yeah. Yeah. I mean, you know, we've, we've played well and, you know, we've played everyone well. Um, We just haven't been able to put together, you know, consistent 40 minutes over the last four games. Um, You know, whether it's, you know, it's just certain matchups or lineups that we have out there just aren't really working well. Um, You know, so that's something that, you know, I'm going to look at maybe kind of tweaking a little bit, maybe tweak the starting lineup or tweak, you know, what we're doing with our bench minutes uh, just to try to get a little bit more continuity.
3: Mike, I've got two fundamental problems with this comment in and of itself. So first, let's talk about tweaking the starting lineup. Where? What are you going to do? Who are you changing? You haven't had a problem with the starters to start either of these debacles that you just went through. You started off strong against UConn. You started off even stronger against St. John's and i believed you know your weakest offensive player who is ike at that point was making a statement on defense in both of these games who are you changing out mike to swap up or tweak this starting lineup
1: uh, ike actually had a nice game in the uh, offensively in the st johns game we didn't actually get a chance to call out any positives really that was a nice job by ike in st johns i i, I don't know i'm really confused you want to make a bet that uh, Bryce Aiken starts over Shavar next week? Oh, it will not happen. There is well, no I, so, way. There is Mike.
3: I will bet you a California burrito that that does not happen. No,
1: I like my California burritos. I'm not. I'm not taking that bet. I'm not losing that bet. He's not starting Bryce Aiken over Shavar Reynolds at this point. So what else could you do? Could you put Molson in the starting lineup and go small and, like you said, slide Sandra to five and take Ike out? But but why would you do that? It's not like Molson's going to come in and change the game offensively for you. I'm, as, I'm really confused.
3: As much as you and I like Molson, Takal's been struggling. I mean, there's no two ways
1: about it. We really like him, but he has not been playing well for the oh, past God. month, Mike. Struggling is being nice. Struggling is being nice. I I don't think he has answers. And he talks about oh my bench rotation. No, when you have a guy who's maybe playing five or ten minutes. Uh, you know, in the rotation th- so far this year. And you're like, I want to give that guy a chance to step up and maybe play 25, 20 minutes, move one of those guys into the starting rotation and just see what we have. That, that could make sense. But Trey Jackson, Jahari Long, Dominguez Stevens, these guys have not even stepped on the court this year. So th- those guys are not an option. So what he's going to be doing in terms of other guys on the bench I don't get it
3: well and that's my second problem with this quote he says he's might tweak around the minute distributions on the bench what are you going to do mike you've basically taken minutes away from everybody on the bench tyree samuel playing less jahari long not playing at all molson in general has been playing less who else is coming off the bench mike You're not going to put Trey Jackson in at this point in the game. You're not bringing in some kid that's played one game, basically, of meaningful minutes and put him in to the first round of the Big East tournament. Not happening. So what are you going to do?
1: I don't have an answer. My my other issue that I have with this quote is he says, we've played well against everyone. You know what? Here's an interesting point that I read from somebody else on social media. Yeah, we have. But the second time that we played a team, we have not played well against that team. That outside, of, not, outside, outside of outside Creighton. Creighton, outside of Creighton, outside of Creighton, N- name another team the second time around, we played better.
3: We don't have one, Mike. And you know what? I don't know that that statement's true. We have not played well against Butler twice. I don't care that we beat them the first time. The first game was ugly. and We didn't play well against them. DePaul, both DePaul games were ugly things to watch. So you can't, you can't tell me we played well against those that team at all. So no, you're
1: not right. It's w- no, It's a BS quote. I was going down the path of when a team gets to see us for the second time, I think he's starting to get out coached. Is he not? Right. We're getting scouted. They know our tendencies and those other teams, regardless of who's on the court. We've mentioned it. DePaul without their two best guys, St. John's shorthanded, Butler shorthanded. Teams completely look like they're well-prepared against us the next time, no matter what the talent level is on the court in those matchups. Kevin Willard's supposed to be the chiropractor, and it looks like the other coaches have the upper hand on him. But isn't this
3: what we've said about why we have that yearly January swoon? I mean, isn't this what it is? By the time January rolls around, the coaches have seen the film. They know what's coming at you. And they know how to adjust. I mean, this is not rocket science at this point. And Look, if-
1: let me ask you this though: if you're a coach, I've seen the film for the last decade. Why do I have to lose the seat in hall the first time? Why can't can I roll out the film from the previous five seasons and go, "Ooh, that's what they're gonna do. That's what they're gonna run," because C- it's the same stuff.
3: Well, just know, new be- guys
1: plugged in. People are gonna think we're being hard on Kevin, but you know
3: what if if you want to build statues for him You got to get ready to have some people throw some apples at him. Okay, Mike You did say earlier in a podcast. We still have at least one more week to go And that is the biggies tournament nor and in normal times We'd both be really pumped up about it But you know what the pandemic has taken a little bit of excitement away from a lot of this And so it's not gonna be the same watching the game's coming from the garden as it's been in the previous years. But, Mike, let me ask you this. Why am I excited at all as a Seton Hall fan? Is there going to be anything that's
1: going to be different than what I've seen in about the last month. No, I normally I get excited because we do a whole special episode, you know, previewing the biggies tournament. Let's break down the accolades of who's going to win certain, you know, uh, trophies at the end of the season. We you know, where are certain teams going to line up to get into the tournament? It's, you know, there's an energy at the garden. That's not going to be there. The biggies is down. There are three teams that are getting into the NCAA tournament. It's Villanova, who just lost Colin Gillespie for the season. So that's kind of a damper on their season and where that, what they're going to be able to do deep into the tournament. You know, Creighton's probably the best representation of the conference right now. And then you got UConn that's hot. You, you want to talk about like, you know, a knife in your back. Danny says, get us now it's coming. And UConn might end up beating the team that has the biggest potential to not only make a run at Madison square garden, but also represent uh, the conference deep into the NCAA tournament. That's going to suck. And so it's, it's hard to get up for the Big East tournament when everybody else has to basically run the table just to get in. Well, you want to tell me maybe Xavier can win a couple games and, you know, maybe sneak into a first four? I don't know what you want to break down in terms of this tournament that brings up the excitement from the perspective of a Seton Hall fan. Enlighten me here. So, you, Mike, you said Creighton's probably the best representation.
3: I don't know about that. They've got some self inflicted wounds that came up this week that I don't think we need to go into Uh, that they're going to have to avoid right. right now. And let me tell you something it's not like the players have been coming to the defense of the coach after his comments last week. Those were some really pointed comments coming from the players. So, they might not be all right in the head at this point. Nova obviously has got the injuries to Gillespie and it's going to be a hard time to overcome those, even though personally I think Jeremiah Robinson Earl is their best player and he's the one that's going to lead them past that. But UConn's on the precipice this year, Mike. They're getting, they're going to get better and better with their recruiting.
1: Yes, look, Creighton's got a bunch of issues that they have to deal with behind the scenes. And you're right. It could be crumbling behind, the, behind closed doors. It's not even behind closed doors anymore. We don't even know if McDermott's going to be coming back and coaching for this team at any point throughout the season. But when Marcus Zegarowski has the ability to go off for 32, like he did in their finale, he's still a special player. He's the head of the snake. He's their point guard. And when you have a special player like that in March, you know that guy can make a team go, and he's just been off this year. Maybe all of a sudden he finds something down the stretch, and he fuels them to something special. But that's it, man. Three teams. Three teams. I. I. I there's no... Let's watch the bubble and see what else happens. Seton Hall has to technically, in my opinion, now win three games in a row to get the auto bid. Otherwise, the NCAA tournament streak is over. And then I'll even ask you this. Is it even worth... Accepting an NIT bid at that point.
3: Well now you've got other Considerations to talk about though Mike and I know people don't tune in here to hear political observations But Texas has opened their businesses a hundred percent. They've taken away the mask mandate This is now a concern now you need to say do I want to risk my players going into that environment? whether you agree with it or not this is going to be a bigger question in my opinion than whether do we accept an NIT invitation or not.
1: Yeah, I'm not ready to do pandemic pandemonium with you this week. I'm I'm due, I'm, I'm scratching that segment. My, my my issue is this, you got you got a team that's upperclassmen. So if you go play in the NIT, I, I get it, you know, it's a chance for them to play a couple more games, but what are you really trying to do? Normally the NIT is a great launching pad for a younger team that has kind of you know started to pick up their play at the end of the year. We got a great opportunity for a team like Georgetown if they were above 500 and could qualify. Young guys getting tournament experience, continuing to gel. Is he going to play Jahari Long and Trey Jackson and these younger guys if they make the NIT? That's not going to happen. I, I'm I'm not saying you just pack up and and call it a year, but you can't blame them if that's the decision they make either. You just
3: remember, can't remember the last time we send the senior laden team to the NIT, Mike. I don't know that we want to see that anymore.
1: Uh, so so here's my thing. Normally we kind of will wrap up the show and start kind of giving our predictions for what we think is going to happen in the upcoming game. So normally we sit there and say, all right, give me your prediction for the big East tournament. What do you see things playing out for Seton Hall up first in the four or five game? We have the rematch or, or rubber game against St. John's now kind of still in their building at the garden. Right. But, but no fans. So th- there's an opportunity for there to be a, a win. We obviously have matched up well against them at times this year. And then you get the opportunity to play Nova shorthanded, assuming Nova still holds their number one seating in that first eight, nine game that they're going to play at noon on Thursday. And then you go, oh, okay, we win the first one. We beat a shorthanded Nova team that's trying to find its way still. Boom, you're in the title game. You're just one game away, you know, Creighton, UConn. Hey, just give it, give me a one special performance for one night and we're back to the tournament. And I, 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 don't, want to, I don't want to jump ahead. I don't want to do that. I want to go to a tweet that Jerry Carino put out in the Twitterverse immediately after the game ended yesterday, he puts out there and I quote, is Seton hall going to show any fight or just curl up in a ball and cry. Uncle did you, did you see the responses? Oh, I saw them. They were pretty comical. Uh, I'll give you, I'll give you a couple of those. There was a bunch. I'll give you like three or four rhetorical question, right? Jerry, is this a trick question? Cry uncle. It happened four games ago. Look to Willard for that answer. It starts with coach. You may lose, but he has to require emotional toughness. So I'll ask you, Tom, forget about predicting, you know, what's going to happen in a sequence of games at the Garden. You tell me, has Seton Hall already cried uncle? Or are they going to kind of all of a sudden turn things around and show some fight?
3: I don't know why we should expect anything different come this next game than we've seen for the past month what in the past month have we seen that that makes us think that there's any bit of fight left in this team i don't think they do well i think they lose i think they go home early and we have a 500 season on the record books
1: i think they had their chance to show that fight and for a couple minutes to start each game they did, right? Yeah, you had the UConn game where they got out to the hot start. You had the lambasting of St. John's for the first six you know, six and a half minutes. And then the other team responded and said, all right, we're not going down with a fight. We're not going to curl up in a ball and let you just take this game. And how we responded in those moments, I think is a telltale sign or is a microcosm of how this team has been this year. Yes, they've had some moments early on where they hung tough against Louisville out of the gate. They rallied back down 19 against Penn State to pull it out in overtime. They bounce back against Providence and UConn after those tough losses to, you know, Villanova and Creighton. But I think they're out of emotional steam at this point. It, we, we keep on, we, we're gonna talk, we talked to Lavelle. We talked about the mental fortitude of what happens throughout the pandemic. Many guys have said this is starting to wear on teams. And what did I say was my biggest fear? If you get to the end of the season and you're starting to lose hope about what the, the season can bring success wise, how are people going to emotionally respond after this craziness of the pandemic that they had to go through? And I think you kind of saw the second half of both of those games. I'm with you. I don't see how it changes potentially at the garden. I don't. And not for not for three consecutive games, which is what they're going to need. One final thing before we sign off
3: today, we need to keep former pirate Ray Ortiz in our prayers. Ray played for the Pirates between 1979 and 1981. He's currently at Bayonne Hospital battling COVID, and he's been on oxygen for the past week. He's been making some improvements, but he's not out of the woods yet. So everybody keep Ray in your thoughts and prayers. Well, Mike we've got potentially one last week left in the season. I Sound emotionally drained you sound emotionally drained, but I'll tell you what come game time I'm gonna have a little more pep in my step I'm going to be excited and we're going to be watching it. And maybe for one last
1: time this season, we're going to be saying go pirates. Go big blue. But, 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 but before you end the show, I'm probably going to have to be on the DVR again, because it's going to be played right in the middle of the work day here in California. Please tell me NASCAR is not going to be cutting in to the first 10 minutes of the game this time, please. I,
3: I feel like I'm going to have a cold coming on me. I may have to have a sick day, Mikey.
1: So, if you've enjoyed this podcast, please listen to our previous podcasts, which include interviews with former players Mark Bryant, Danny Calandrillo, Adrian Griffin, Jerry Walker, and Shaheen Holloway. For Tommy Chilkoharski, I am Mike Dizzy Desiri, and you have been listening to Left Coast Pirates. <laughs>